Welcome to this week's episode of Voteraid's Wonkin Circumstance Podcast, brought to you by Voteraid. If you are in Coral Gables, you still have an election coming up. I know it was last week, the general election, but there is a runoff scheduled for Commission Group 5 between two candidates. You can still access Voteraid.co and our survey to get a match for that runoff, which is Tuesday, April 25th. Also, if you are in Sweetwater, Florida, you have an election coming up in the beginning of May. The survey and candidate match for the Sweetwater election will be available in the next couple of days. Today's episode is one that has shown a rift between the House and the Senate in Tallahassee so far in 2017. It is that of a bill that would mandate 20 minutes of recess time for all public school students in the state of Florida. To talk about this issue today, we have Renee Medina. Hi, my name is Renee Medina. I am a teacher at a charter school and high school teacher. I teach law classes. I have also been a cross-country coach. Uh, at Belen Jesuit for five years, and prior to that, I have extensive uh, summer camp experience dealing with children. What does the average day of a student look like right now at your school? I teach at a school that actually uses block schedule, and the way that that works is that for they they have three periods a day that they use about an hour and a half of one for one class alone. So realistically, my students get about five, five and a half hours of instructional time. They get five-minute breaks in between their classes to change uh, schedule. And then from there, they also get a 45-minute break for lunch around uh, somewhere between 10, 4, 10, 15, 10, 30, and noon, depending on uh, when their lunch break actually is. Does that lunch break include dedicated recess time or no? No, they they don't actually, and it's something that I don't understand, they don't let the kids go and play recess. Now, because it is a charter school, there is a tremendous, uh, there's a lot of electives for students to actually take PE. And I can definitely tell you that a lot of students do take uh, physical education. But in terms of recess, I don't think our school has any recess. It's also a middle and high school, so I don't think recess is something that is really great. They don't really use recess for middle school and high school for the most part. So what does the average day of, of a teacher look like by comparison to, to a student? What is, uh, how does it differ from what a student sees? Well, a teacher ends up, uh, there's a lot of paperwork and a lot of uh, what I consider busy work that we have to do behind the scenes in terms of lesson planning, in terms of handing out uh, paperwork to kids, that they, they just don't see that. We, we also have a lot of staff meetings. Depending on the school you go to, there's a lot of, uh, there's some coaching that goes on. So we, we actually stand to benefit from a recess break, uh, if I'm being honest with you, because that's kind of like a 20-minute break for us where we don't have to deal with the kids. And, and as much as, this is the part that they don't realize, as much as sometimes uh, they can't stand us, I'm not going to go as far as saying we can't stand them because if you're in this profession, you're going to love kids, hopefully. But we do need sometimes a mental break from them. So recess, from our standpoint, is a pretty, uh, pretty beneficial for us too. So, so that that kind of uh, leads into I, I think my next question here, which is take those those specific like let's say 20 minutes. That's what the legislature is looking at mandating. Um, right. 
first off, uh, before we get into into the the actual like how it changes, does that apply to charter schools as well, or is that just for explicitly public schools? Because I think I think the difference between charter and public schools is lost on on the average voter from time to time. Not only is it lost on the average voter, it's lost on the average teacher. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reality is that many times we ourselves don't know what rules we're operating under. For the most part, we try to follow uh, public school guidelines. Uh, we do receive state funding, so a lot of times there are conditions attached to that state funding that we meet criteria that's imposed upon us by uh, state and district requirements. So something along the lines of a recess, a mandatory recess, that's something that would probably affect charter schools. Uh, I'd also, I mean, I, I don't know if the legislation would be written in such a way to exempt charter schools, but I wouldn't see why they would do that. I would imagine that it would also have an impact on charter schools and that we would probably be required to give uh, recess time if that bill is passed. Okay. So let's, let's assume that, that this does apply to, to your school. How does it change your day or the average teacher's day to have a 20-minute block? What is the, a teacher spending that time to do? Well, so again, the way I looked, I actually did a little bit of research on the bill, and the bill is supposed to impact, there's two competing versions of this bill. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, I, if I remember correctly, the version that has just been passed by the House is significantly watered down from the Senate version. Yeah, there's a little and, bit of controversy over uh, the committees and, and who wants what. Right. And and my understanding is that this is really something that's going to impact elementary uh, students. Now, it, it recess from a teacher standpoint, in terms of us achieving our goals, it's a great idea. I mean, as a standalone thing, the idea of recess is necessary, right? The, the idea being that it's kind of hard to keep a seven-year-old kid especially in today's day and age with all the distractions, with everything that they get, every gadget, every, you know, what we consider the ADD generation, it's kind of hard to get them to focus on subjects, on on their classes. They need that physical break. They need that mental break. They need that moment where they can go out and interact with other kids and talk to other kids and, and let out some of that energy so that they can come back and refocus in the classroom. Now, how it would affect us, here's, here's the issue that people don't see from the teacher side. Teachers are really in a position right now where we have been over-legislated. We're, we're, there's a lot of requirements that are currently being put on us, and the more you try putting more and more requirements, the more likely it is we're going to fail each and every one of them. What I mean by that is there are two other problems that really are affecting teachers right now. The first problem is mandatory testing and the extent of mandatory testing that we have. Students are right now forced to take a lot of tests, a lot of tests throughout the year. And it depends on, it varies by grade, it varies by subject, the particulars of it. But that's taking a lot of time away from us being able to teach the material that we're supposed to teach so that the students can actually pass a test. The second problem that teachers are also encountering is that there's now, in addition to that, two other movements. One of them is for us to actually focus technology and have students become more acclimated with technology, which in theory shouldn't be a big problem because almost every kid has an iPhone these days. But believe it or not, they're actually trying to make sure that we teach them technology. In addition to that, we're also under the gun to make sure that we make sure that kids, we have to do what is known as differentiated instruction, which is the idea being that if you have a gifted student, like five gifted students in a classroom and you have five students that are behind class average, 
we're supposed to provide different assignments for all these groups and kind of teach them at different levels, at different paces, so that they can eventually, hopefully, get to where they need to go. When you impose so many requirements on teachers, we need every second of the day we possibly can get with them to teach. We're already losing teaching time through testing. We're already losing teaching time, if you think about it, by having to focus our attention on different assignments for different kids. If you take away now 20 minutes of a teacher's day every day, which is what I think the Senate version proposes, mm -hmm. you're looking at potentially a 6-7% decrease in instructional time on these elementary school teachers. That's a lot of time. That's a lot of time. And is it possible for us to meet all of the requirements that they're forcing us to meet when they actually take away that time from us? I think the answer is no. I think the answer is no. So these are the challenges that we face from our end with additional recess time. And I also need to stress for Monkey, there's already physical education incorporated into the course curriculum. So it's not like your students are sitting down without ever being able to go outside. What these, what these parents are asking for is an extra 20 minutes a day of recess, and they're trying to differentiate between recess and PE, when in reality, I don't see the difference between PE and recess, at least not at the elementary school level. They're not really learning about health. They're not really learning how, you know, usually PE time is you go grab basketball and shoot hoops. So I don't see, you know, I, I don't think this, it's not like there's this, I don't want this, the public to get this idea of, hey, there's recess time. Uh, if we don't have recess time, then kids are going to be stuck in a classroom doing nothing but learning. That's not accurate. Could it be that the difference between recess and physical education is the, the structure of it and that maybe the benefits of recess aren't just the, the exercise that's associated with it, but also that a, a creati a, the creativity of students can flourish while in physical education, like you said, generally they... they are given a basketball and, and told to play, but you know, there's only so much creativity you can, you can foster when you're playing basketball. There's only, there's only so many different ways you can play basketball. You're right. I mean, and I do guess, and for the record, I think every teacher, if you ask every teacher a standalone question, would you support recess time in your school? I think every teacher would say yes. I find it hard to believe, you know, personally, for example, my mother, she's been teaching for over 25, 30 years. One of the things that she most, thought that I was robbed during my childhood was that I didn't get recess time. For the same reasons you're just suggesting, the flip side to that argument, Honky, is that it's not like we're having structured five-on-five -five basketball games with a timeout and a basketball coach drilling, you know, having drills on these kids during PE. PE, if you actually go and look at PE in a co-ed school, for example, half the time the girls are sitting down and they're talking and they're laughing and, and sometimes the guys are trying to impress them and sometimes it's not as if though there's this very coordinated, structured PE class. Reality, PE is very similar to recess. What you're really wanting is more time for kids to take a break. That's really what they're recommending. That's really, I think, what this boils down to. The other point that I make is, I don't think this would have been as big of an issue 30, 40 years ago. One of the things that I notice when I drive around during cross-country practices and I'm following the kids when they're running outside of the school. You follow them in a car? How lazy are you? <laughs> Come on, well, Renee. I'm in shape. I need to. I need to get in better shape. I need to get in better shape. Still, hey, I don't think running running eight miles at three o'clock in the afternoon when you're thirty years old is not the easiest feat. 
I just dated myself terribly, didn't I? Come on. <laughs> Come on. That's incredibly lazy. I mean, at least run like half the time. <laughs> you know, when I, when, I, when I see these kids, when you, when you go out and you follow these kids, you notice one thing. You don't notice kids playing on the streets. Mm-hmm. You don't really notice a kid, you know, kids walking around searching for, you know, uh, insects or, or the things that four or five-year-old kids do. You, don't, you just don't really see that. I think our generation, our, our parents in general, what, they, what you see kids doing is they're sitting on a the couch, they're playing video games, and they're not really getting that recess time that it would have come much more naturally 30, 40 years ago after school. And so now we're trying to, I think, replace that natural recess time by forcing it on schools to support it. Now, if you choose to extend a school day, if you choose to give you know, an extra hour of schooling for teachers and for kids, then maybe it makes more sense to have that recess time. But I think that the concept, while something that every teacher, including myself, would support, it sounds great in theory. But how you're actually going to make it work, given the current conditions that we already have to encounter, I just don't have an answer for that. I don't think it's, I think it's something that sounds great in theory that every teacher would support in theory, but given the current requirements of teachers, it's very difficult to fully implement properly. So then, if I'm hearing this correctly, it, it sounds like this is a problem, potentially, of, of prioritization that you have a certain amount of, of time in a day and that time is not going to change and that, and that there are a lot of activities people would want to do, but, you know, learning comes first. I guess the yeah, pushback I mean, on that would be, you know, it, could there be a potential area of the brain, so to speak, that is not being activated by current uh, classroom time and that's where something like this would come in? Uh, unquestionably, and unquestionably for the same reason that we need recess time, we also need to make sure that we devote more time to the humanities and having kids, you know, have a, having a big enough budget for kids to actually uh, have a good art class and be involved in music, because these are all areas of a human being that we need to we need to be complete. You don't need to be at the Picasso to not, to not take an art class. You should take an art class. You should take music. You should take physical education. You should have recess. But if we're going to push this, then there needs to be a little bit of give somewhere else. I think it's the right priority. I think the priority is a proper one, but not if we're still going to make the same requirements of teachers that we currently have. Not if we're going to emphasize mandatory state testing to the extent that we are. I think we have to, we, we have to kind of be more realistic with our expectations. And perhaps 20 minutes of recess every day might not be proper. Maybe we can start off with mandatory recess twice a week. Maybe on the days where kids don't have PE. Usually PE is something that you have two or three times a week. Why don't we make sure that kids get recess at least on the days where they don't have PE? I think a compromise solution is perhaps more appropriate over starting off with, hey, you know what, you would need to have at least 20 minutes every single day. That's, that's rough on a teacher right now. That's, that's really stretching our ability to maybe get our jobs done. There is a counter-argument to everything I've told you. And the possibility does exist that we'll be able to be more efficient with our time, given how students might be more responsive to our teaching if you give them a break. 
kind of like how you're supposed to take a break when you're studying or when you're doing a task every 30 minutes to an hour, two, three minutes, five minutes, just to let your brain unwind. And then you're going to, you're going to be more efficient for the next 30 minutes, an hour because you took that break sure. in real life. The same theory applies to kids. So perhaps what we lose in instructional time from a recess break on a daily basis, we gain on the flip side by having students be more productive on a, you know, with the time that we do, like with, a, with a lesser time that they do have. And maybe that's, maybe that's a net positive. I just don't think that there's something that Tallahassee should force on every single 67 school district in the state of Florida at this time. I think we really should probably be looking more at, okay, how is it working with the school districts that do currently have mandatory recess time? How have they done it? Should we really maybe implement this on a piece-by-piece process as opposed to going full scale and saying you need to have 20, 30 minutes of mandatory recess every day? That's where I think realistically you're going to ultimately end up with problems because you really don't know the unintended consequences that that may have. And I, I would argue again that ultimately teachers will struggle. In, in that vein, the potential uh, differentiating points across regions of Florida and also based on something you mentioned earlier about, I think it was uh, differentiated education. Instruction. Differentiated yeah, instruction. instruction. Is, is there an argument to be made that the 20-minute uh, mark is either appropriate or inappropriate for all? For all, for, for all in terms of what? For all school districts? For all students. Uh, do some students need more recess than others? I... I imagine that different people need different levels of breaks. I think that a mandatory, I think, I think every student does need a break to interact socially, to, to talk to other kids. Whether you are perhaps the most gifted students, many times those are the kids that perhaps might need a break the most, a recess break the most. I, recently we went on a trip uh, to Orlando on a, it's a, it's a, an FBLA trip. I, I helped co-sponsor it. What does FBLA mean? I'm sorry, FBLA stands for Future Business Leaders of America. And there is a state competition held in Orlando in a hotel resort. And, you, you know, there's different levels of competition. There's all sorts of, there's a, it, it, the whole thing gets extremely complicated. I just go for the ride and as, as support, really. But, um, it's a nice free trip. It's a fantastic free trip. We're, we're, we're in a resort. It's, it's great. And I can tell you that sometimes you have these kids who are freshmen, sophomore, and they've never really traveled anywhere. And they've never really talked to any one of their classmates because these are some of the brightest kids that our school has to offer. And they really are incredibly lacking in social skills. And yet when you give a kid one of these opportunities to interact socially in a, with other kids who they've maybe never really spoken to outside of the structured classroom setting, they, they develop quickly. They, by the end of that trip, it's a three-day trip. By the end of those three days, some of these kids were starting to talk and engage with their students in a way that they had never done before. And perhaps I would argue that if I were to ask these kids, did you ever have recess as a kid? They'd probably tell me no. Or they probably would tell me that during recess, if they did have any, they sat down and didn't communicate with their kids. So definitely I would tell you that whether you are on the most advanced stages or whether you're a kid that is more challenged in your educational uh, capabilities, recess is, nece- is, is necessary. Do some kids need more recess than others? The answer is probably yes. Some kids, some students are 
very hyper. They need they need that energy. They need to release that energy. For them, it's almost torture to, to put them in a classroom for five hours out of a day, sitting down, staying quiet while a teacher lectures. So, yes, some students do need recess more. But <laughs> if we now try to impose differentiated instruction on recess, and we now say, okay, this student needs 30 minutes of recess, and this student needs 15 minutes of recess, we're going to need essentially a teacher assistant in every single classroom up until fifth grade so that one person is monitoring recess time and the other teacher is, I guess, getting extra assignments to the students that need less recess. And realistically, how would a teacher be properly able to figure out who needs more recess and who doesn't? If it's a student that's hyperactive, generally speaking, that's a student that most misbehaves in a classroom. If you're going to give that student more recess time than a student that's quiet and behaves well and does their work, it almost, from a student standpoint, the perception I would get is you're rewarding the kid who misbehaves by giving them more at recess time, and you're punishing the kid who behaves properly by making them learn more. So that, if we start differentiating recess, that's gonna, that, that presents its own series of headaches down the road. From a question of, of prioritization, we talked a little bit earlier about the difficulty of it and the finite nature of, of the day. You mentioned a lot of things that students should be getting that, that maybe they're not, humanities, uh, et cetera. Other proposals include mandating economics at a younger age, uh, having students have to take the citizenship test or the equivalent of it before graduation. There is an endless litany of, of these priorities. Where would you put recess on the priorities? Is it something that for you as a teacher is high on the list that this really needs to be, maybe not this bill in particular, but this needs to be incorporated into the average student's day? Or is this something that falls maybe middle of the road or even lower? Oh, geez. <laughs> That's a tough question. That's a million dollar question, right? I can tell you, uh, Wonky, on this point, one of the things that I do in my, with my seniors, these are kids who already have taken my class for three years, is right around this time, I have pretty much covered all the law material that I can teach them in terms of books, in terms of everything. I, I'm pretty, I could get into more detail, but realistically, I've kind of made a decision given that I don't have a, a, a requirement of a curriculum for my elective. I'm blessed with that. To you know, shift tracks and kind of supplement their education with things that, with life lessons, what I call them. Uh, they, they joke around, they laugh at me, and they say, Medina's life lessons. <laughs> and you'd be, I think we would all be shocked at how they don't even know how to write a check. You know, they don't even know how to, uh, concepts such as basic interest rates. So they, they compound well, to interest. be fair, I, I mean, I can't remember the last time I wrote a check, period. So, I mean, not, not to point I, that I, one particular I, thing out, but... but... But regardless, the fact still is, many of them... It's true, nowadays, with technology being of great assistance, we don't really necessarily need to write a check. But these kids, they don't even know how to... They don't, they don't know the basics of getting credit. They don't know how to even apply for a credit card. Uh, some of these kids, a couple of these kids don't even know how to write an email. The reality is we focus so much time and effort on teaching what historically for over 100 plus years has been what we've considered important for kids to learn. Material that we kids consider kids are, is necessary for students to know. That they don't, they lack common sense when they graduate high school. They don't, you know, they, these kids accept loans. They, 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 they think about buying houses and they don't understand that they're paying in many cases, 
two, three times in interest the original amount of whatever their loan is. They don't understand that. They don't make. They don't. They don't comprehend that. So when we look at some of these priorities, we really need to focus on. I question sometimes the necessity of teaching parallelograms and as a soft as a sophomore side. I question sometimes the extent that we need to focus on some of these higher level maths or even some of these higher level chemistry and physics classes. And I don't mean to diminish their importance. I tend to think that a human being should be as well-rounded as possible. But given how we do have finite amounts of time with students from when we get them from kindergarten or pre-K all the way to seniors, do we, should we really reevaluate the importance of students learning algebra two pre-calculus calculus? Should we really ask ourselves, is this what we really need to be doing or making sure that these students learn chemistry and physics? I, I you know, classes that if they're no, if they don't plan on going into the sciences are not indispensable for human beings to function. And I think the answer is we, yeah, we really should reevaluate some of these things because I think financial literacy is something that is extremely important. I would probably rank that at number one right now. Uh, questions on philosophy, matters of philosophy. These kids, they, they, you know, for them, philosophy is whatever they read on Twitter. Uh, and, and I'm not kidding. And whatever, you know, they. I know you're not, which is what's stop. funny and sad. That, that, it's, it's horrible. It's horrible. They, they, for them, they listen to a song and they're like, oh, these lyrics, they're so deep. And all they're talking about is, you know, another guy even with another woman. It's the same song over and over again. And, and, and then you, you were trying to test these students on all these important things that we, things we consider important because we used to consider them important a hundred years ago. And the reality, are they indispensable for a human being to function as an adult? I, I don't think they are. I don't think they are. So I think, do, do we need recess? Yes, I think recess is necessary, particularly the younger the child. Particularly the, the, the younger the child is, the more important a recess break is. I don't think a high schooler really needs recess. And I think actually that if we go too far in one direction of giving recess in middle school and high school, by the time they go to college, by the time they go to the workforce, it's actually counterintuitive. Because the way we currently function in the United States, if we're in Europe, it might be a little bit different. But here in the U.S., we don't really have a recess break. Usually the average American job is from nine to five. So if we start making kids think, hey, you're always going to have a 15, 20, 30-minute break at some point in your day, by the time they go to the workforce, they're going to be in for a rude awakening. So I do think at some point, the positives that you receive from recess, the older the kid is, may actually have an unintended greater negative. But yes, I think recess is important. I think financial literacy is important. I think philosophy is important. I think questions of the humanities is important. I think basic questions on health. It's, it's crazy that we give them so many science classes and that these kids know so little about how to properly eat, how to properly diet, how to properly, why cardio, you know, why, why doing cardiovascular activities are important. I think we should focus more on that or give at least students the option to take more classes on that, on these areas and probably reduce the focus on, you know, some of these other requirements that we are currently giving students that I don't think really affect them on a day-to-day basis. Give me one. What, what's one, one requirement that, that, uh, chemistry, chemistry. I mean, chemistry is probably the easiest one. I could see some importance in chemistry is, you know, whether or not you're mixing two things together that might blow up. <laughs> I think every single 
subject that is taught. Everything that is that there is to learn, there's an argument to be made. It's worth there's worth there's worth in learning. The question is, relatively speaking, is it worth learning more than some of the things I've talked about? Do I think chemistry is more important than a student learning how to balance a checkbook or learning how to properly read a loan document? Mm-hmm. I think the answer is no. Okay. I think the answer is no, given that, and, and, and it's ironic because there's this big movement in education at this time to focus on STEM, to you know promote what is called science, technology, engineering, and math. And that's a great that's probably the next direction that education is currently taking and it's going to continue taking. We want to be more competitive in the sciences and the maths. And, the, and, I, and it sounds great. Again, it's another thing that sounds fantastic in, in theory. The question is, again, how many of these students are destined for a career in science, technology, education, math? I don't think the answer is that many. I don't but think the answer is, let me rephrase card. that. Let me, but I correct, everybody needs a credit card. Everybody at some point needs to encounter, needs to think as a human being, not then process information and, and critically think about the information that's presented to them. And that's the point I'm making. If we don't, if we, if we don't learn the, the, the problems of why financial debt is important, how are we going to understand conversations about national debt? How are we going to be good citizens? How are we going to make decisions that will, proper, that will be most beneficial to ourselves and our family. If you take out a loan as a student and you don't understand the consequences of that and you take out a $200,000 loan to college, guess what? That's an albatross you're going to carry with you for the next 30 years of your life. I think that's an important decision that kids need to be more aware of how it'll affect them. And it has greater ramifications than whether you know whether whether something is water-soluble or not. And, and, of course, that's assuming they even remember the lessons of those classes, which is another discussion. Of, of which? Of the, uh, of the financial literacy classes? <laughs> uh, no, of any class. I mean, oh, that, oh, yeah, that, that's, let's be yeah. real. Well, yeah, that's the other thing. You, you take one of these kids a year removed from chemistry, and if they, even the best ones that you know, receive A's, if they're no longer in those fields, they don't remember 2% of what you taught them. However, I can tell you that in the life lessons classes that I've taught them, students come back to me many times and tell me, hey, a police pulled me over and I knew my rights. They weren't able to arrest me because they were trying to take advantage of me and I, and I knew how to stop them from, from, take, from not taking place. And that only happened because I took your class. I don't know. It's, a, it's always a, a mixed bag when I hear that. You know, it's, it's, a, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a really bittersweet feeling. On the one hand, I feel flattered that out of all the classes, one of the classes that they most remember is the ones that I teach them. On the flip side to that, obviously, am I teaching kids how to be delinquents? That's a question for another day. However, a red-blooded American yeah, citizen should always know their constitutional rights. I think that is, that is fair. That, that's abs- and, that's, and that's what I think they need to. And, and yet, you take a poll of these kids, they don't, they don't know that you, can, you have the right to refuse a search. They, they just don't understand that basic concept. So really, what's the point of government if you don't even know that you have the right to refuse it? Yeah, so fantastic. You find out that there are 27 amendments in the Constitution of the United States. We have this class called government. It's fantastic. You learn that there are four different ways to amend the Constitution. That's great. But realistically speaking, are these kids ever going to be amending a Constitution? The odds are incredibly slim. Well, to However, be fair, there was that one guy who was a student in yeah. Wisconsin, and he got the 27th Amendment passed. So there's always a glimmer of hope. And that was the first, that's the last time we've had an amendment, and that passed in, what, 1991? We're looking at 26 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> You're proving my point. Yeah. That was a quarter century ago. And that's one kid, one guy, out of uh, millions of people that have graduated high school since then. Hey, that one guy's a However, hero. how many people? 
how many people are pulled over every day and consensual illegal searches. So to me, we really need to refocus some of our priorities in what we teach and ask ourselves, is this the most efficient use of our time? Is recess a necessity? Yes, especially if there is no PE. And yes, yes, especially for younger students. But in the current atmosphere where we emphasize so many other things, is it fair to impose another requirement on teachers? I think the answer is unequivocally no. All right, so that leads me into my, my final question here, which is uh, if you were a state representative uh, in either chamber, doesn't matter, uh, what would your vote on the bill be? Well, I'd, I'd like to see the final version of the bill before commenting. Huh? I, wouldn't, I wouldn't want to prematurely <laughs> Don't give me the lawyer no. speak. <laughs> Don't give me the lawyer speak. Give me give me your vote on the bill as it exists I, on the date of this interview, which is April fifteenth, twenty seventeen. I, I think I think I would vote against it as I would I have serious reservations. I would hold it up in committee. Okay. I would hold it up in committee. And it's not because I'm against the concept of recess. It's because I'm against forcing another requirement on teachers without fully understanding the consequences that it will have on education. The negative ones. Okay, well, it seems like you and, and Representative uh, Bileka, who is the, the chair of the education subcommittee in, in, uh, in the House, uh, are in agreement on this particular issue, because it seems like he's the one that is uh, putting yeah. a big emphasis on, on pulling back the reins a little bit. Yeah, I, I think I would agree with him. All right. Uh, any, any final thoughts? Anything I may have forgotten to, uh, to mention? No, I think, I think we, we had a great conversation. I appreciate you having me on board today. I thought it was fascinating. I mean, I think, I think it's something that people don't really understand because automatically everyone thinks, hey, recess, sounds like a great idea. Why not have recess? But have we really thought about the cost? And I don't think the answer is yes. I think the answer is no. Thank you to our guest this week, Renee Medina, for filling us in on the ins and outs of the life of a teacher, a student, and how recess may impact the lives of both if it were to be passed in front of the legislature this session. For an update on this bill, make sure to tune in to our Session Wrap podcast that will be coming up in just a couple of weeks as soon as the legislative session is over. We will let you know how all of the bills that we discussed fared and what to expect insofar as coming state legislative elections and sessions. Thanks again to our presenting sponsor, VoterAid. Remember, Coral Gables has a runoff election on April 25th, and Sweetwater has a general election just a couple weeks after. We are live for Coral Gables runoff already, and we will be live in a couple of days for the Sweetwater general election. If you have a local election coming up, VoterAid will be there to help you out. All you have to do is go to VoterAid.co, that's V-O-T-E-R-A-I-D dot C-O, and take our brief survey. You are just five minutes away from knowing which candidates at any level that is on your ballot most line up with your viewpoints. Until next time.